I'm Martin Reeves, Chairman of the BCG Henderson Institute. Welcome to our Thinkers and Ideas podcast, where we discuss important new books and ideas in business. Joining me today is Ranjay Gulati. Ranjay is an organizational scholar and professor of business at Harvard Business School. He is a, a multiple best-selling author on organizational topics. Some of his books that listeners will probably be familiar with are Structures That Aren't Stifling and Startups That Last. But today, we're going to discuss Ranjay's new book, which is Deep Purpose, The Heart and Soul of High Performance Companies. So congratulations on the book, Ranjay, and thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Martin. It's a pleasure to be here with you. So let's kick off with, with definitions. Purpose seems to be so prevalent nowadays that, that maybe the term is becoming a little bit corrupted. But what, what do you mean by purpose? Let me start by first making clear what purpose is not. Purpose is not a purpose statement. We kind of get hung up on the idea that it's a set of words, a sentence that has some kind of flowery, aspirational statement. Purpose is an ideal. That's why I came up with the idea of deep purpose, not purpose. And I found companies that were deep purpose without a purpose statement. And yet there were companies that had plenty of purpose statements, but no purpose really going on. Purpose is an ideal. If I force you to define it, how would you give a nice compact definition of what it is then? Purpose is a unifying idea of the commercial and social problems you want to profitably solve for your stakeholders. And I say commercial and social problems. I don't say one or the other. People confuse purpose as anything but profit. Really, the term has been hijacked. It's been hijacked by all extremes. Purpose is shareholder value. Purpose is anything but shareholder value. Right. And then you go further in the title of your book. So you're not talking about purpose. You're talking about deep purpose. So tell us what you mean by adding that extra adjective. Honestly, Martin, I was trying to go for the one word title. I wanted to call it purpose. But then I found people have appropriated purpose in many variations. You know, some said purpose is win-win. Some said purpose is anything but profit. And then I found a lot of purpose cloaking going on, this kind of virtue cloaking, also called virtue signaling. So then I had to come up with a taxonomy in my own head about the what I call shallow or convenient purpose. There's purpose as disguise. That's the Theranos and the Purdue Pharmaceuticals of the world that cloak themselves in this kind of virtuous cloak of purpose. Then you've got kind of purpose on the periphery. It's kind of like the give away a little bit on the CSR side. Then you've got purposes win-win. I'll only do it if it's good for my bottom line. So let's find that magical sweet spot of it's good for business and good for me. And that was what I found. And I found some companies thinking of purpose in a much more existential way. It's an ideal about why do we exist? It's ambitious. It has goals in it. It's idealistic. It has duties in it. It's about different stakeholders. It's a multiple focus, and it envisions long-term value while focusing on short-term results. Let me ask you about the purpose of your book, because you're launching this into now a, a quite a popular space. Many companies at least have a convenient purpose, as you define it. Could I ask you, you know, which aspect of purpose you're trying to clarify or the particular message that you're trying to add to the, uh, the debate and practice on, on purpose? Martin, one of the problems that for academics and consulting firms alike is we create buzzwords. And buzzwords which confuse by design because then you've got to hire me to come and explain what they mean in the first place. And purpose has become one of those. And to me, the ideal here was to show the potential of purpose, but only if you really understand what it is and more important, how do you embed it in your organization? 
Okay, so you're so like a clarifying intent then. You're trying to say, what does it really mean? Let, let's get clear about the essence of purpose. And how you do it. And how you do it. And how you do it. How is very important. Okay. So how is the corporate economy doing on purpose? And what would be your rough estimate of how many Fortune 500 companies have a purpose and how many have what you would call as a deep purpose? I would say 80, 90% of them have a purpose statement, right? Everyone, if you ask somebody, do you have a purpose? I probably imagine that most of them are going to poll today. And if they haven't led Larry Fink's letter, I'm sure they are. But you know, what has happened, you have to understand how many are actually doing it. I would say a very small fraction of them are doing it. Oh, like 5% or what would you say? This is a pure number I'm pulling out of a hat, yes. but I'd say maybe 10 to 15%. And if one wanted to raise that percentage with, with your book, what's the main obstacle to the diffusion of, of true purpose as you see it? I think the first obstacle in this is to overcome one basic mindset issue that purpose is a tax on business. It's not a tax on business. It's actually a generative force that can allow you to improve the productivity potential of your business. In fact, one of the person I interviewed, Thomas Anderson, who's chairman of Orsted now, he said, I pity those who think of purpose coming at the expense of performance. Maybe if I can ask the inverse question, you say a lot of companies have a, what you call a convenient purpose, an instrumental purpose or a peripheral purpose or purpose as disguise. What is the cost of that? The opportunity cost and the cost, you know, why shouldn't companies stick with their purpose statement, which, which you'd regard as just on the surface? Well, the Financial Times had a very cute kind of cover article titled The Baffling Search for Purpose in Purpose Statements. There was an academic article soon after called Sex, Lies, and Mission Statements, right? And I think you have to understand that companies historically, even going back to England in the 16th century, they had a purpose. Documents of incorporation required you to state a purpose. This thing used to be a legal obligation. It was a legal obligation. This has gone from an obligation to kind of a consideration which is kind of a checkbox. And now people are feeling the pressure to state it out there, to do a feel-good exercise. I think what they're missing out is the opportunity cost of not having a purpose. And what are the opportunities it can open up for you? So part of my research was to figure out what can purpose do for you? And you, you give, I think, four categories of, of benefit. Tell us a little bit about those. So the four benefits, pathways, levers, the first one was directional. The idea that purpose allows you to clarify your strategy, where you want to play, how you want to play. It gives you both a narrow and an expansive understanding of your market. When I interviewed Satya Nadella at Microsoft, he said, you know, we couldn't have come up with our strategy for turning around Microsoft until we'd clarified our purpose. Purpose informed our strategy. That was the first one. The second one is purpose as motivation. There's a lot of emerging data around human potential. And one study, for instance, 2015 study in HBR showed that inspired workers are 2.25x as productive as satisfied workers. I'm not even going to dissatisfy. And, you know, we've gone through a revolution in human potential from satisfied to engaged to inspired. So there's a motivational benefit. And younger generation, there isn't limited data on this, but younger people are much more drawn to this kind of work in some ways. The third one is reputational. There's a lot of work on purpose branding now. Customers believe in, trust, are more loyal to companies that seem to have something they believe in and stand for. So that's reputational. And the last one is the most nuanced, I would say, is relational. Purpose clarifies for you your relationship with your suppliers, with your other ecosystem partners, and the communities in which you operate. Because having a clear statement becomes a marker of who you are, what you will do, and what you want to. So you're not going to be barraged 
In fact, one of the individuals I talked to said, purpose allows you to make demands of your stakeholders. So just to double click on the first one of those, the direction, because my background is in strategy, so I often think about things from that perspective. Isn't the point of strategy per se to clarify the direction? What is the, what is the additional clarity that comes from the supporting idea of a, of a purpose? So let's take two words, what and why. Much of what we think of when we think of strategies, what are we going to do, right? You want directional clarity. So you're looking for the what, what market opportunities are available. You operate in what I would call more outside-in thinking. You look at markets and then you look to see what capabilities do I have to align with the market opportunities. Purpose thinking, the why question, forces you to also think inside out. You know, if you look at Lego, another company I studied, Jorn von Nutstrup, what he used purpose to do was to sharpen their strategy. They were doing theme parks and electronic toys and all these other things. The strategists, if you will, had taken them in an expansive way. And I, my last book was all about customer centricity, and, and I use the language outside in. I stand corrected. I've come to realize that we need to start inside out. Right. So it's more to do with the intention, the purpose, the broader context, the moral context, the elements you wouldn't find in the, in the water strategy. Exactly. And I think it, it forces you to clarify the strategy also, right? It forces you to create constraints. Otherwise, unconstrained strategy, as you would know better than me, gets you into a mess. So it creates boundary conditions for your strategy. It also gets you to think narrow about that place, but also broader. What is the solutions I want to solve? So if I'm going to be creating the builders of tomorrow with my toys, okay, I, that's what I want to do. So I don't want to be doing theme parks or movies, right? But within that now, what are the opportunities over there? Do I do robots? Do I not do robots? How do I think about my product categories, the space I want to play in? So in some ways, it also gives you coherence over time to think about, looks for new avenues for growth. So we all talk about selling solutions and adjacencies and markets and all that. I think purpose makes that much clearer for you. So let's dive into some of the practicalities. So how do you find a purpose? I mean, if you want a purpose and you, you buy the general philosophy, but you've got to find one, how do you find one? So there are two answers to this one. One is if you're a startup, then, you know, it's really usually in a startup or a, a starting venture, it's an extension of the founder's own personal beliefs and values. And even in startups, I did an HBR article called Why Startups Have Both Ideas and Ideals, some of the most successful ones. The founder doesn't start with just a, an idea for a widget. It's usually an ideal. I want to change the market in this following way. They have an expansive notion of what they're doing. So if you're lucky enough, and you'll see that, and you see that in Starbucks, you see that in Nike or Apple, you see that in a lot of these companies where the founders had an expansive notion of how they were going to change the world in some meaningful way. But what if you're in a large company that doesn't have one? And I go back to the Lego example where Jörn von Nutstrup said, if you want to transform, not just turn around a company, you need to find the essence. And the same thing is that exactly what Satya said. He said, we must rediscover our soul, our unique core, right? And to your earlier question, he said, technologies will come and go, strategies will come and go, but how you invent and anchor yourself, you need this strap holding you in place, which is a sense of purpose. So there's a kind of like a soulful-like quality to this idea. And where does that come from, Ranjay? Does that come from history? Does that come from looking at the needs of society or all of the above? Where, where does it come from? You know, if you're giving an instruction set to your team to, to go find a purpose, what instructions would you give? 
Yeah. So, Martin, I think you know, uh, since I, I don't want to talk about your own organization, but you know, you guys help companies find their purpose. What I learned, and I've seen you do it too, is that companies don't invent a purpose. It's about detecting or discovering your purpose. And sometimes to do that, you've got to look back in the past. So one of the stories I tell is about a Ghanaian bird. It's a Ghanaian folktale about the Sankofa bird, which flies forward while looking backwards. Now, this is a tricky task. I have to tell you what I learned, the nuance of this was that you have to engage in an act of nostalgia and nostalgia, which is you want to look back, but don't get like lost in the past. Right? Some people get lost in the past and the glory days and, and they're kind of, they, just, they don't know how to look. The idea is how do you look forward? And when I talked to somebody at Apple, he said that at Apple, Steve Jobs, who had been on the board of Disney through his Pixar engagement, he was very frustrated by one thing that constantly happened on the board of Disney. Every decision was always posed with the following question. What would Walt have done? And so when he knew he was dying, he wanted to make sure that would never happen, that this shouldn't be the perennial lens that what would Steve have done? How do you, you know, liberate your organization from that? So you want to have the past, but be also able to think forward. So let's talk about action. Purpose seems to be a lot about intent or clarity of intent. So let's supposing we have that, but we want to make it not a beautiful ideal that doesn't match reality. We want to execute it. How does purpose get into execution? How do you make sure that the purpose is not the deceptive poetry, which is pure in intent, but uh, not very pure in translation? So I'll go back to Satya, who said, writing a purpose statement is easy. What comes next is much harder. And I found that's where a lot of companies get stuck. They, you know, you end up with a statement, a set of beautiful words, which really look empty on surface, right? So you look at Microsoft's purpose statement, which was rewritten for the third time when Satya took over. You know, it's a set of words. And you're like, okay, what am I going to do with that? So that's where the journey took me to the next piece of the puzzle. After you do that, the first thing I found was how do you disseminate purpose? It's not like any kind of other statement. You, you know, it's not like a, you know, a new strategy or let me put out a new value statement or a new culture statement. It's really about our reason to be. And so I found them talking about telling a big story to really get people emotionally charged around it. Now, to understand emotionally charged message or telling a narrative or a big story, or as a very famous Stanford professor, Jim March, called, are you a poet or just a plumber? You have to be a poet. I looked at the work of Marshall Gans, who's a political activist and a professor now at the Kennedy School of Government. And he talks about how narrative building happens in political mobilizations, where you get people completely bought into an ideal. And I discovered that some companies do what I learned, Indra Nui and others did at Pepsi, which is complete, one of the CMO described as complete sound, sound performance to the point where eventually people knew it with his acronym. That was Frank Cooper, who was the former CMO at Pepsi. So you see the dissemination piece happening. How do you get that out there? The next piece is much harder. So another thing I want to rush about, Ranjay, is I think this whole area of social benefit, moral intentions, reason for existing. I mean, we now have quite a huge concern in that general space in, in business. And we have a number of tools and approaches that range from purpose, sustainability, CSR, ASG, triple bottom line, net zero. And I wanted to ask, how does purpose fit into that pantheon? Why do we need to, to add something? And, and how do those things fit together? So I, I, I'm not suggesting that. Here's the reason why. 
most of the, I would say, guidelines for companies, are, these are coming out as guidelines. Guidelines or regulations or limitations or restrictions or taxations. That here are the rules of the game. And I think business needs that. I think we always, we cannot operate in a completely free world with no regulation at all. I'm all for regulatory guidelines and constraints. But I think one has to understand that purpose can actually energize the corporation. It truly can expand the proverbial pie in terms of making it a more productive enterprise while also allowing it to fulfill those obligations. Because my sense is when you operate with only guidelines and constraints, people are minimalists. They will do the minimum necessary, right? What is the threshold of acceptability? How do I get there? How do I work the system? How am I going to get a good ESG score? You're already seeing that with the ESG scoring. There was a study at MIT showing that the ESG scores are not even correlated with each other, all the different ones that are being used. So you start to see people gaming this. So I think that the idea here is we still need to do that. We still need to regulate. We have to also think more broadly about how we can help animate. The second part of this is human aspiration. If you look at the great resignation and great reshuffle, what's going on around us today, we actually are facing a meaning crisis in the world. COVID has done something that is forcing us all to be much more introspective. We have had to confront death, sickness, directly, indirectly, in so many ways. We've been home alone. You know, we have to readjust our lives. And rightfully, people expect more from work. We expect more from work, which means if you are the employer, you need to up your game or else you're going to lose some of the best talent you have. That's a very interesting answer, actually. So you're saying that we have regulation from the outside, but this is some sort of internal regulation, but it also goes beyond constraint. It's constraint. You said it was a constraint earlier on strategy, but it's also aspiration. Would that be a, a good way of capturing the, the essence of the unique aspect of purpose? I'm not a biblical expert here, but I would say even in the Bible, you have thou shalt not, and then you have the thou shalts. I'm a big fan of thou shalts, not just thou shalt nots. And I think these are enabling, these are positive affirming statements rather than disconfirming statements only. A lot of business tools attempt to get at what is permanent or unchanging about business. You know, Michael Porter famously said that if a, if a strategy is not for, for 10 years, then it's not really a strategy. And I think the same thing applies to purpose. You're looking for the, for the stable core underpinning the, the business. But I wanted to ask you whether that was a constraint in itself, maybe an unproductive constraint, in the sense that we're in a very fast-changing world. And so, for example, one successful company, Alibaba, says that all aspects of the company, including the things that we normally think of as permanent strategy and vision and so on, should be constantly in a state of evolution so that we, we learn and adapt to changing circumstances. Should the purpose, in the same spirit, constantly adapt? Should companies evolve their purpose over time? Eventually, I have seen that happening. I saw, you know, I told you, Microsoft had one under Bill Gates. They had another one under Steve Ballmer, another one under Satya Nadella. Best Buy. Best Buy went through four of them over time, right? So they have a new one as well. But these are purpose statements. I want, again, want to distinguish purpose from purpose statements. I'd like to go back to Satya. He said, I'll change our strategy every other month. We are in a technology sector. We're going to change our strategy a lot. We're going to change our org structure a lot. We're going to constantly have to restructure. But you need some constants in a business that create some sense of continuity and direction. And he had two that he talked about. And I kind of tend to agree with him. One was culture and the other one was purpose. 
These are kind of behavioral guardrails. They become kind of identity markers, if you will. Who are we? Why are we here? How do we operate? And I think in business, while everything else is changing, you need some constants to guide you. Having said that, periodically, you might need to refresh them. Now, there are companies who refresh means tweaking them. So if you look at Johnson & Johnson, so let's take one that has been around forever, the credo. Periodically, times have come in the history of Johnson & Johnson where a CEO said, we need to challenge the credo. And then they adapt and adjust and tweak and morph it, but on they go. But they've kept the branding of the credo that there is a continuity here. Now, that was not the case in Microsoft or in Best Buy. But you do need to have, it gives you some long time. I don't have a magical year for you. Is it five years or 10 years? But I would imagine that that's a reasonable timeline. So purpose seems to then deal with the needs of society as much as the needs of the company, the individual company. And you've laid out a a very strong case for having an individual purpose. But in addition, we have some common existential challenges, climate change, uh, species depletion and the like, where we need to all be pulling in the same direction. So I'm wondering about how we solve the tension between my unique purpose as a company and mobilizing around these collective common challenges. How do we solve that tension? Because climate change, I think, is, my perspective is, it's not a problem of climatology. It's not a problem of good individual company intentions. It's a problem of effective collective action. It's a great question. And I think you've elevated the conversation. And this is where purpose gets confusing. People, because some people are asking the question about purpose of business in society. Not just purpose of the company in terms of how it operates with the stakeholders. There's a larger question. Is capitalism failing? Because somehow the capitalist system directs business, which is a key stakeholder in in a capitalist society, in a way where it privatizes profit and socializes all kinds of externalities, negative things, including risk. And so how can we change that structure, if you will, of capitalism? right? So businesses do less harm or do no harm, at least talk about setting the bar like Google did once upon a time, right? That, you know, have no negative externalities. But I think you take it to the next level. How can business be a force for good in addressing collective action issues? Because we all agree that many of the institutions that have been set up for collective action across nation states are failing. Even within nation states, we have too much polarization and stalemates that aren't able to address pressing issues like climate change. And the question now is, what can business do about it? And how do you mirror that set of questions with with the individual purpose question? So the purpose of business overall, which presumably needs to be reflected in individual businesses, and the individual purpose of single companies. How do you put those two things together? Is this general purpose something that should be in the purpose statement? Or is it something that needs managing and thinking about separately, do you think? So this is where I think purpose is a really powerful tool because purpose can get an organization to think expansively about itself. When you ask yourself the why question, it forces you to think longer term, right? That's the real reason Larry Fink has been pushing the idea of long-term value that, look, I want you all to think about long-term value with short-term results. But, you know, let's think about how we can accomplish both. And in his current newsletter, his letter right now also saying that so sustainability is good for business. And you're starting to see investors operating in that direction. Again. The ones who have long time horizons are pushing this idea of sustainability and so forth. So purpose can be powerful because when you think expansively about yourself, it forces you to think about the footprint you have 
but also your community has. I'll give you an example of this. Maybe an example to illustrate this. A company nobody here would have heard of is a company called Beulah. Beulah is a Swiss company. It's privately held, but it is actually a key company. And I'll tell you why it's key. Because if you eat, most likely you've been touched by Beulah. And I'm sure most of us eat. 65% of the world's grain harvests are processed on a Beulah machine. 30% of rice harvests. 75% of the world's malt supplies. So let's think about that too. And 30% of global breakfast cereals. Now, they're a food company. They process, so they're touching everybody in this food industry. They want to make their equipment more energy efficient. They want to be eco-friendly, but that's going to have a fractional impact on anything around sustainability. So they came up with this idea that, look, the food industry is a major contributor to greenhouse gas emissions. We also know that 30, 40% of food is wasted, never even is consumed. So think of the opportunity you have here. And the question was, what can we do? They said, well, we are Beulah. We know everybody. And they don't talk to each other. How can we convene them to expand our thinking about that? Now, you might say, it's none of your business. But you suddenly start to see actors like that using their purpose as the vehicle to energize themselves, but also convince others why they're doing it. Because the skeptical will say, you're just trying to sell me more stuff. You're doing this little virtue business. You're doing a little PR here to sell me more stuff. No, it's what can we in the food industry do to really activate and energize performance for all of us and do better for the planet? And so you start to see businesses, when you have purpose, asking the broader question and mobilizing others around those ideas. I think purpose, it won't solve all collective action problems. I'm sorry, I wish it would. But I think it can help businesses align with these larger questions that are being asked as well. So unfortunately, um, our time is nearly up. But let me ask a, a sort of getting started question. So coming back to the statistics you shared earlier about you know, most companies now having a purpose, a purpose statement, but few companies having a deep purpose. Supposing I'm a CEO listening to this podcast and I, I want to embark on that journey to deepen my purpose. Where do you begin? What does that journey look like? Well. I hope it starts with reading my book. That's first base. But besides that, I think is that, you know what? You have to overcome a number of kind of misconceptions about purpose. Cynicism, unfortunately, prevails widely. It's just a purpose. It's just a statement. It's about tax on business. It's about, okay, it's sloganeering and posturing. I think it's important to understand that purpose is really about transforming the way you think about your business. It permeates and affects your strategy. It affects your human resources. It affects your culture. It affects your organizational structure. It affects the processes you have. It affects your ecosystem. It becomes what a famous organizational theorist called why called sense making. It's how you look at the world and how you look at yourself in the world. So it actually is something very profound. And if you're willing to take that leap, great things lie ahead for you. Well, thanks very much for spending time with me today, Ranjay. We've been discussing Ranjay's latest book, Deep Purpose, The Heart and Soul of High-Performing Companies, which I recommend to, to get beyond this idea of superficial purpose, to get back to the, the essence of what do we really mean and how do we action it. So congratulations on the book and thank you very much again, Ranjay. Thank you, Martin. Pleasure to be here. As always, great to talk to you and I look forward to being in touch.